From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. COVID-19 has been possibly linked to a mysterious inflammatory disease. I'll talk about this with Dr. Yana Shaw. She's a specialist in pediatric infectious diseases at Upstate. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Shaw. Thank you for having me, Amber. So this is being called pediatric multisystem inflammatory syndrome. What can you tell us about it? Well, uh, it is a new condition um, that has been recently recognized by critical care and infectious disease expert um, initially in Europe, specifically in England, and subsequently uh, in the um, United States. Um, it is a condition that includes an involvement of a variety of different organs. Uh, it appears to primarily affect children. And um, the hallmark of the condition is um, inflammation. And it is an inflammation of uh, vessels, which we call or label vasculitis, primarily small arteries. Um, so it is uh, quite worrisome uh, syndrome because it appears to uh, be quite severe. Um, most of the cases that um, have been reported were children in intensive care unit. So you said inflammation of the vessels. Would we know if our child had inflamed vessels? Would it? Would we be able to see that? So you, as a parent, would probably not recognize that. But what you as a parent would see in a child is um, prolonged fever, usually fever that lasts more than five days would be worrisome. Those children who had this syndrome had uh, rashes, they had uh, pink eyes, they had um, swollen hands and feet. Um, number of them had um, abdominal symptoms or GI symptoms, vomiting and diarrhea. Okay, so those would be sort of clues. Now, what what makes us think this is connected possibly to COVID-19? The reason why we think this might be connected and, um, you know, the cause has not been established yet. However, majority of the children who were affected by this condition uh, tested positive for um, the novel coronavirus um, and they either tested positive by the new molecular diagnostic assays that are often referred to as PCR assays or they tested positive by serology, essentially we found antibodies to this novel coronavirus in their blood. So does it seem to affect, uh, you said mostly children, but um, that could run the, the range from, you know, infant up to teen. Are, are we seeing it sort of across the board or does it target one age range? So, so far, um, I can only speak on what has been reported. Um, you know, New York City issued an alert a couple of weeks ago where they reported 15 children affected by this syndrome. And in that particular group, they were children of ages 2 to 15 years of age. However, as we learn more about the syndrome, we know that also younger children, infants can be affected and older children um, up to age of 21. But so far, we don't have a consistent uh, sort of cohort reported where we could, um, you know, give parents a very clear um, age distribution. Uh, but it's clear that any child um, uh, could be affected. Any age group is affected. So the alert from the New York State Department of Health said some of the features of this syndrome overlap with a disease called 
Kawasaki disease. Mm -hmm. um, is that right? And do you see any correlation? Yeah, so Kawasaki disease is, um, is a systemic inflammatory uh, syndrome as well, and it's systemic vasculitis. Again, it's a disease that affects small vessels and specifically arteries. So the symptoms that we see in children with this uh, multi-system inflammatory uh, syndrome is very similar to Kawasaki, just like you said. And the symptoms that the children will present are very similar to Kawasaki. So this condition is not difficult to identify by either pediatricians or hospitalists or critical care uh, physicians because they're very familiar with Kawasaki disease. Um, similarly to this new syndrome, Kawasaki disease will present with prolonged fever, with rashes, with swollen hands and feet, with gland swelling, um, uh, with children, children may have, um, you know, changes in their mouth, uh, swollen red tongue or cracked lips. So the disease is very similar in its manifestation. Um, however, um, for Kawasaki, we really do not know the cause. So we use the Kawasaki disease term uh, to describe this condition because the symptoms are very similar. Okay, interesting. Well, how, how unusual is it for a virus uh, to cause symptoms so different in an adult from a child? If this turns mm -hmm. out to be related to COVID-19, I, I mean, we're seeing like respiratory and fever in, you know, adults. But this cascade of symptoms in children, but it's the same virus. So how unusual is that? It is very uh, interesting. Um, you know, you you are right. Um, and this novel coronavirus um, uh, has very different manifestation in children compared to adults, where adults mostly present with respiratory symptoms, cough, shortness of breath and a rapid decline in the respiratory strategies requiring um, intubation and ventilation. For children, most of them appear to be either asymptomatic or have very mild disease. Um, so having um, this um, very severe manifestation uh, observed recently is of um, grave concern. Um, however, I'd like to mention that um, uh, although we are on lookout for this condition, so far as far as we know, um, only 100 cases as of uh, yesterday, uh, based on Governor Cuomo's report, uh, of children have been identified with this condition in New York State. Considering um, that there are 4.6 million children in the state, you know, that would uh, let us believe this condition is very, very rare. So I would like to just um, assure parents, um, I don't want them to be uh, alarmed by these reports. Um, and because from what we know so far, uh, the severe manifestation of this virus appears very uncommon. That's encouraging. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Yana Shaw. She's a pediatric infectious disease expert at Upstate. So how is multisystem inflammatory syndrome being treated currently? We use the same treatment approaches as we would use for Kawasaki disease. Um, so we use action, um, and we also use um, intravascular immunoglobulin. Um, immunoglobulin is a, a 
one of the treatment approaches that has been successful in Kawasaki disease, primarily um, protecting those children's hearts. Okay. Well, let me ask you about COVID-19, not the inflammatory syndrome, but just if, if your child were to test positive for COVID-19, um, what is your advice for parents for if it's a baby or child or a teen? How do they handle this at home? So if um, the child is diagnosed with uh, COVID-19 and a child otherwise appears um, well, there is no reason to rush um, to either a, a pediatrician or emergency room. Um, so treat your child as you would treat um, any other um, mild um, viral illness, um, making sure that your child has a lot of fluids, rests, um, is important if your child is running fever, using antipyretics um, uh, can be helpful. However, if you start noticing that your child um, is not acting himself, um, exhibits any of the signs that I mentioned earlier, rash, um, uh, fever that doesn't go away, um, has a lot of vomiting or diarrhea, you should call your uh, primary care provider and seek their guidance. Um, of course, if your child appears to have no energy or is not um, acting himself or has trouble breathing, uh, that would be another reason to bring your child to emergency department. So it's definitely something you need to pay close attention to um, in terms of the fever and, and just keep monitoring that, right? That's correct. Yeah. You know, as a parent, you know your child best. Uh, so uh, you know when your child is not acting himself or acts differently from prior viral illnesses. And those differences in behavior and uh, symptoms should alert you to uh, call your provider. Or if there are some alarming signs, as I mentioned earlier, trouble breathing or child is, um, um, you know, not showing um is not responsive, those would be reasons to call 911 and bring your child to emergency department. Do you suppose this generation of children is going to grow up uh, being fastidious hand washers for the rest of their life after going through this? <laughs> I would certainly hope so, Amber. Um, I, um, um, I don't know uh, the answer. However, I can tell you that from personal experience as a, you know, as a mother, uh, my children have certainly been much more aware of germs and um, transmission of infection and certainly have been much more fastidious about their hygiene and hand washing. Um, so I'm hoping that as parents, we you know influence our children and hopefully we role model for our children and strict hand hygiene is, is part of what we all should be doing today uh, will hopefully have impact on our children as well. Do you think with um, if we're actually following this uh, physical distancing and, and if we're good with the hand washing, will our children be healthier overall? And will they, I mean, they're not going to be picking up other germs either, right? If they're careful about not touching their face and keeping their hands washed, that applies to all germs, not just coronavirus, right? Yes, and I think that's a very interesting question you raise. How will this, um, you know, um, decrease of transmission of other pathogens, which we have certainly observed, uh, will impact um, children's health overall. And um, 
we don't have an answer for that. Um, and I'm sure people will be looking into it um, in, uh, in their research. Um, but I do have to, um, you know, agree with you that we certainly, since we started with physical distancing, have seen over a decline of other respiratory pathogens, not just, um, you know, the, um, um, infections associated with uh, this novel coronavirus. Um, so compared to last year, uh, we in our hospital alone, we have seen at least more than half um, decline of respiratory pathogens compared to the same period. Interesting. So the physical distancing works. Well, let me ask you, because we're very early from all accounts in this pandemic, um, in terms of the outlook for a vaccine, is that what it's going to take to help parents feel confident sending their kids back to school? Do we need to have a vaccine before that happens? So I don't think we necessarily need to have a vaccine um, before we um, open schools. However, we do have to have testing capacity to ensure that we identify people who are um, infected, identify people who were exposed so we can track and isolate those people to um, to minimize the risk of transmission to others. And it's quite likely that schools will have to implement uh, new uh, policies to ensure that physical distancing is possible. Um, you know, it will take, um, it will take a large uh, population to be infected uh, with this virus uh, before we as a community develop herd immunity. And, um, you know, you might have heard that it may take 70 to 80 percent of the population to be infected so herd immunity can take place. And we are so far from that number. Um, as far as we know, uh, less than 5 percent of the community in the Syracuse area has been infected with this virus. So there is still a lot of people out there who are susceptible. So do you envision that we will be wearing masks for a while longer? Yes, I do. Yes, um, I think that's a that's an excellent point. Um, the masks um, that are now uh, universally recommended um, for for public um, should stay in place until we can ensure um, that um, the either the transmission of the virus has ceased or we have seen substantial uh, decline in um, in new cases. Um, in the community. Wow. Well, thank you so much for this advice. Uh, this has been a pediatric infectious disease specialist, Dr. Yana Shaw. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.